Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. We have been talking about Proverbs for the last couple of weeks. This is week number three. And the key verse in Proverbs is Proverbs 9 and 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the holy is understanding. We know that God is the source of true wisdom. James said if we ask for wisdom from God, what will he do? He'll give it to us. He'll give it to us liberally. Now, Proverbs on the outside seems to look like a loose collection of wise sayings. But the more you study Proverbs, you get into three themes that are repeated over and over and over again. And those are our money, our morals, excuse me, our morals, our money, and our mouth. Come on in. Feel free to grab a sheet as you come in the door. We don't have a sign-up sheet, so we'll figure that out later. Okay, so morals speaks of who we are really on the inside. And morals, we find out a bit more in Proverbs 1 and 22. It says, how long will you simple ones, how, will, how long will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their school, scorning, and fools hate knowledge. So right away we find these characters that we'll call them, or characteristics in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs. The simple, the fool, and the scorn. You can see that behind me there. Okay, the simple, quick review, just they lack experience. They're not stupid, they just simply don't have experience yet to know if they've done right or wrong. The simple, just that's their case that they're in. The fool, they know better but they simply just don't care. Uh, the scorner, they tear down others, and they're critical of those trying to do good. So that's the, what we know about the scorner. Now there is a fourth moral characteristic that God wants for each of us, and that is to be wise. That's what God wants for us. The wise, what do they do? Well, they think eternally, and they are always working to win souls for the kingdom. As we see here in our next verse, Proverbs 11 and 30, it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who winneth souls is wise. So if we are a soul winner, we are wise. Amen? Amen. Now, last week I began teaching, pardon me one second while I put my phone to sleep so I don't get any interruptions. Okay, back to the, where I was. Last week I began teaching on the second theme that's repeated over and over in Proverbs, which is money. Uh, I started it last week, but I didn't get very far. So tonight I'm going to continue on that topic and discuss some of the characteristics that surround money in the book of Proverbs. Now some of the important points I want to reiterate from last week, if you weren't here. Proverbs shows us the things, for one, that God hates. 
It's one of the first things he shows us. And as we look here in slide number, this slide, uh, it says Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. These are the six things that the Lord hates, and even one isn't an abomination to him. But there's a lot more than just those abomination verses. There are those that are right here behind me. Proverbs 332, 158, and 15:26 says that the devious person, the sacrifice of the wicked, and even the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to God. Now there are many others. That's just a quick little review of what we talked about. Now, Proverbs also tells us about the things that God loves. And one of the things that God loves is those that pursue righteousness. Proverbs 15:9 says. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. That's a great thing. I want to be what God loves. Amen? I want to fit that description, whatever that is. Uh, we also know uh, things that please God, that God loves, is an obedient heart. When we are willing to give of our finances freely for the Lord's purpose, and when we seek to find wisdom. You know, when you, when you go to school, what do you do? You're seeking wisdom, aren't you? You're looking to, to gain wisdom, gain knowledge. Let's face it, you go to a YouTube video. You're trying to learn how to do something, right? Ever go there to find something to cook? I know my wife does on a regular basis. We're trying to gain knowledge. But the Lord loves also somebody who will allow them to correct them or reprove them. So we talked about this a little bit last week. Proverbs 3.12 says, For the Lord reproves him who he loves. So if the Lord is correcting us, that's a good thing. Right. That means he is simply loving on us. Now, the word reprove, we don't use that word a lot today, right? <laughs> reprove, what does it mean? It simply means rebuke or correct. If God's doing that to you, he's just loving on you. So God's stepping all over your toes, pastor stepping on your toes, it's perfectly fine. That is just God ministering his love to you. Now we need to love, appreciate, and value the Lord's correction in our lives. Amen. That's very important. Just I was thinking about how this works in an airplane. An airplane, you have to have constant correction. If not, the plane will fall out of the sky. It'll, it'll crash and burn simply because it doesn't have constant correction. You tell the plane to go up, you eventually got to tell the plane to level off. Otherwise, it's just going to keep going up and stall. Or you turn the airplane, it's got to stop turning. If not, you just keep turning. So correction is very important. It applies the same in our lives. We need the correction of God. Amen? Amen. So, Proverbs, uh, we learned this verse last week. I'll call this the light version. It's Proverbs 12, 1. It says, Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. Now, I don't know exactly what that word means, so I had to go look it up and see what that actually was. But I started reading in other translations. Does anybody else ever do that? You read yeah. in other translations to get a deeper understanding. So it's important to do that, and I read this in the ESV. Now, have you ever read something in the Bible that's like smack right in your face? It's like, okay, I got it. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I like it that way. You know, I'm not afraid for the pastor to step on my toes or the preacher. 
If it's for getting me to heaven, tell me what I need to hear. Don't water it down. Give it to me straight. Give it to me full strength. And this verse is a lot like that. It says in Proverbs 12.1 in the ESV, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. <laughs> Did you know stupid was in the Bible? <laughs> I know sometimes we're not supposed to use that word. Some parents don't use it. That's fine. But here it is in the Bible, and here it is on the wall. Okay? If you hate reproof, you are stupid. That's what it's really saying. Now, that's a strong verse. That's like in your face. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want to be stupid. Do you? All right. We don't want to do that. I'm glad the Bible tells me this. I want to ask for God's wisdom in all these three areas we've been talking about. Our morals, our money, our mouth. I need God's wisdom. Right. As I can't do it on my own. I'm smart enough to know that I can't figure it all out. I need God's wisdom in my morals, in my money, in my mouth. Right. So tonight, we're going to ask for God's wisdom on money. Okay. Okay? Now, that is a great idea because if God is in it, he's going to bless it. Yep. And he's going to multiply it. He's going to make us better than what we could do on our own. We do it on our own, we're only going to do it so good, but most of the time we're going to fall flat on our face. That's usually how it goes. Now, just a quick brief recap. Uh, we live in a society today that is buy now and what? Pay later, right? And right now, the credit card companies, they absolutely love people like you and people like you, Whoa. people going to school, <laughs> going to college, because, hey, we're going to give you a credit card. You're the big man on campus. But what you don't know is you now have an opportunity to get debt. And debt is not a good thing, as we're going to learn about here. It's real easy to just buy whatever we want now, and then eventually somebody's got to pay for that, right? we got to pay the piper. Now, this mentality is not good because it sets us up for major problems in our country and our nation. Uh, people end up owing way more than what they can afford to pay. And that's a real problem real quick. They will line up college students, young kids, and here's out the credit cards. Here you go. Here's a $10,000 limit. Next thing you know, you've got money issues. They plan that. So, the next uh, verse here is tells us that Solomon had a lot to say about our money. And it's going to get real straight with Solomon. He's going to just give it to us straight, and that's a good thing. He would say if he was here, don't ever get into debt. And if you are in debt, get out right now. Don't waste any time in it. Right. Let's look at Proverbs 22 and 7. It says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Okay, that's some pretty strong language. Let's just put it a little bit clearer. Debt is like slavery. Solomon doesn't cut any punches, right? He just hits you with it. Debt's like slavery. Debt is a trap, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And debt, it's like sin. We always get into it deeper than what we plan to do, right? Right. We fall into things, we get into it deeper than what we had anticipated. Now, when we get into debt, we lose our freedom to live our lives the way we want to live. We become bound. And we end up serving the person or the institution 
So whether it be Visa, whether it be MasterCard, whether it be Discover, whether it be your bank, we end up serving them. They become our slave owner and we're slave to them. That doesn't sound like a great idea, does it? No. When Solomon puts it that way, that gives me a different thought about, okay, i got to get out another loan. i got to go get another credit card. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Okay, so uh, in this next one, it says that nobody here, we all know nobody gets out of debt naturally. You don't just, like, drift out of debt. That doesn't happen. I've never met anybody. Oh, yeah, I just accidentally floated out of debt. No, you didn't. You get in deeper into debt. It takes a person of character, someone to make a commitment to get out of debt. That's what it takes. Now, King Solomon, he learned some wisdom from his dad. And his dad was, of course, King David. King David said this. He said, the wicked borrow, but they do not pay it back. He saw that early on. In Psalms 37, 21, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. So the righteous pay their debts, but the wicked do not. So if we don't want to be identified with the wicked, we need to pay our debts, right? I know this is common sense, this is practical, but that's what Proverbs is. It's such a cool book because there are so many practical things in there. So we need to do what I would call the biblical thing, which is pay our debts. We make a debt, we need to pay it off. The easy thing would be default on it, we can't pay this, uh, mom, dad, help me, uh, you know, but we need to pay our debts, you know, that's what we need to do. If we can't afford it, don't buy it. But in this day and age, what do they do? You can have it now, six months, same as cash. Nine months, same as cash. Have you seen it? Twelve months, same as cash. But oh, if you go over that one little bit, and it's now 12 months and one day, you will be hit with the most compounded interest, and you'll never pay off. It will eat you alive, literally. Now, we also, while I'm here, let's just talk about it. We need to be righteous about how we earn our living, right? We need to earn our living and be able to sleep good at night and know that we did it right. Because there's a verse that's in Proverbs, and you don't get very far in the book of Proverbs without hearing this. And it's Proverbs 119. I don't have it on the screen. But if you take a look at it, or do I? No, I guess I did put it up there. I'm more efficient than I thought it was. Okay, Proverbs 119 says, Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain takes away the life of its possessors. Now, maybe the boss doesn't know that you clocked in when you did. Uh, but it says, he that is greedy for unjust gain will be robbed of the very life that he has. So if we pay our debts and earn our living in a righteous way, you know what we do? We glorify our heavenly creator. We glorify God. Now, it may not be the easy thing. I've ate ramen noodles before. <laughs> I've been to college. I know what that's all about. But God will build some character in us as we do the biblical thing. Now, when we do things that is not just, the boss might not know. We might get away with it for a period of time. You know, we took a, an extra long lunch break, or we clocked in, but we only worked a few hours, and but we said we worked eight now, you might get away with that, but God sees everything. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Right? So we got to be honorable in everything that we do. Now, if, if Solomon was here, he would tell us, get out of debt right now. Now, you've heard the saying, work smarter, not harder. Harder. Everybody would say that, right? Mm -hmm. Work smarter, not harder. Now, Solomon introduces us to a lot of characters in the book of Proverbs, and they're, they're really cool people because they help us find out about people that either we want to be like or people you definitely don't want to be like. And we learn about another special character who is called the diligent. Now, the diligent, to explain who this person is, a simple definition would be a hard worker, okay? He's interested in working hard and getting the job done and doing it right, I and mean, maybe having time left over. The diligent ones say it's better to work smarter and harder, or smarter and not harder. He would say work smarter and harder, and it's in your notes there. The diligent would say to work smarter and harder, because he wants to get more done. He wants to be more efficient. He wants to accomplish more than he thought he was going to. He's going to be extra capable in doing what he wants to get done. Now, there are so many interesting characters in the book of Proverbs. Some we've already met. I've talked about the simple, the fool, and uh, the, uh, some of the other people that were there. I just forgot the last one. Okay, the diligent. So now let's talk about somebody else. Another character is the slacker. Did you know the slacker was in the Bible? I'm about to show you where. Let's take a look at it. We find him in one verse, and we find the diligent and the slacker in there. Uh, it takes a little bit of creativity, so look with me. He becomes poor that dealeth with a slack hand. See? There he is. That's the slacker. He has a slack hand. But the hand of the diligent maketh rich. So let's put it this way. You're going to become poor if you're a slacker. All right? That's pretty straight. If you're a slacker, you're going to have money problems and likely become poor. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Just common sense, right? Now, another character who's probably close relative to the slacker in the book of Proverbs is somebody known as the slugger. The slugger I'm going to talk a little bit about because whatever you do, you don't want to be that guy, okay? Well, they don't want to be this person. You don't want to be like him because the sluggard, he is inherently selfish. Uh, he may seem like he has it all together. Uh, the sluggard may even look like he's temporarily successful. Uh, you met these people, right? Hey, I'm going to win the lottery. I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to do this uh, thing. And I can work from home ten hours a week, and I'm going to be a millionaire. You, you've heard these people, right? But they're inherently selfish. And they got a plan, but it's only a temporary plan. And he's not going to stay very successful for long because he's got a big problem. He is lazy. Anybody know anybody that's lazy? Okay, don't, don't think too hard, all right? Now, in Proverbs 6 and 6 through 9, we learn about an interesting story. And it talks about an ant who could teach the sluggard a thing or two about being hardworking, self-motivated, and smart. Let's take a look at it. It says in Proverbs 6, 6 through 9, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. In other words, listen to the ant. If you listen, you might become wise. Now, without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? 
When will you arise from your sleep? Now, the ant is smarter than the slug. She doesn't have anybody over her, but she goes out and gathers her food, so she's not in want later. She gets out and works. You know what we got a culture of today? A lot of people that don't want to work. Yeah, yes. We have, uh, I won't get into the prophecy side of it, but we have a culture of laziness that's been put into us by even our systems of government here recently. Now, this sounds also, how long will you lie there, O Slugger? Have you ever just been laying in bed and you're like, i got to get up and do something? All right. Okay, next time just say, how long will you lie there, O Slugger? <laughs> All right? Uh, you know, your wife, your, your son, your whatever, <laughs> you know, your husband. Hey, uh, you know, you wake up one day and you find out they're Slugger. Okay? Get up. Do something. The ant is smarter than the Slugger. And we know that we need to get up and work. That's, that's a given, right? We want to eat, the Bible says, we need to work. Right. So let's take a look at what Proverbs 6 and... Let me see if I'm in the right place here. I apologize. Got a little off track. Okay. It says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding hands of the rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and what like an armed man. So we find out that the sluggard is, because he's lazy, he's going to be in poverty, right? Mm -hmm. And he was, it's going to come upon him like a robber wants. He's going to want a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. He's going to want like an armed man. Now let's take a look at this verse, Proverbs 26, 14. This gets a little bit more clear. <laughs> As a dirt door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. So, he just keeps rolling over and over, he or she, okay, not trying to be discriminatory here, but they just keep turning over in the bed, they don't want to get up out of the bed, right? Now, Proverbs 26.15 tells us something that's even more crazy, and if it's right behind me, it says that the sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Now, I do not know anybody that lazy. I've met some sluggards. Y'all probably have, right? You've met some sluggards in your life? All right. Do you know anybody that would put their hand in the food and not bring it back to their mouth? I don't care how lazy you are. You would certainly do that, right? Okay. So the sluggard is inherently lazy, and Solomon must have known some crazy sluggards, okay, to, to say all that. Now, one thing that I have some for you is some advice on how not to be a sluggard, okay? So, very, very simple. We're going to guess four words. Then we're going to guess four other words. Say it with me. Get out of bed. Okay? Stop laying around all the time. we got to get up and do something, okay? Or maybe there's another four words for you. If you're not that, maybe you sit someplace else. Get off the couch. couch. <laughs> okay? We all heard the term, uh, pardon me, uh, with the get off the couch. All right, so we've heard the term couch potatoes. The sluggard is, he is just lazy, okay? That's just what it comes down to. Now, there's something else about the sluggard you should know. He's always looking to get rich quick, okay? Uh, or get ahead on someone else's expense, however that might be. He's always looking for the easy way out. And if the sluggard ever is ambitious, 
It's only for his own purpose because he's, remember, very, very selfish. Sluggards complain about not having this or that. You know anybody that whines and complains? Don't they just get on your nerves? <laughs> okay. They complain, but they're not willing to get up and do anything. So there's a problem there. So I, I know I'm talking about people you've probably heard of before, you, or you might know, but don't say them out loud, okay? Now, it's only because, once again, this person's extremely sluggish. If he ever is ambitious, it's for his own purposes, because he's so selfish. Sluggards complain, but sluggards, here's what they really want you to do. They want you to feel sorry for them, because they often have a victim mentality. Because this happened to me, I can't have this, I can't have that. And don't be a fool, be a, don't be a fool, yeah. Don't be fooled by their attention-gathering, sympathetic uh, words. They're empty, okay? All they want is attention. Now, Solomon calls it right out. He doesn't bat it around, and he says very clearly, sluggards are just lazy. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. So what is a sluggard if you hire a person like this? They are, oh my, they are a piece of work. That's what we used to call people like that in Texas, okay? A sluggard is a lazy employee. Or if they're volunteering, they are a lazy volunteer. Sluggards, they always do the minimum, okay? That's all they're going to do. Everyone has to come behind them and take up their slack. Have you ever had that happen? You're working with I see some heads up. You work with somebody and they leave a bunch of mess for you to do. Wasn't that just wonderful? And you got to be a Christian about that and, and say, okay, maybe they have some problems. No, they're just lazy. Okay, let's just be real. Everyone comes behind them, and has to pick up their slack. You'll never get the hours of work out of them that you put into them that they promise. You know, they say they're going to work eight hours. They're going to work five or six. And if you volunteer, you're not going to get all the hours out of them either. They're going to leave something half done. They're going to cut corners. They're going to leave sloppy work. And if they actually do any work at all, that's the real thing, right? They're just going to try to look busy, try to get away with it. Then you have to come behind and clean up all their mess. That's extremely frustrating. Now, there is a verse in Proverbs about your frustration, so I'm going to give you some comfort here. Because in this verse, it says, nobody wants to have the help of a slugger. Proverbs 10, 26, it says, it's vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. Now, I don't know what vinegar to the teeth feels like, but smoke in the eyes, I sure hate that. Okay? So is the slugger to them that send him. So you send a slugger to me, man, why don't you just give me somebody who will work already, Okay? Uh, I got some work to do here. If I'm a foreman, whatever the case on the job, I need somebody that's willing to work. Now, the sluggard, we already said, he wants all the time, right? I want, I want, I desire, I want everything, but he's not going to be a team player. He's just not going to jump in and help with everybody else. He's going to do his own thing because he is selfish. I know I'm beating up on the slugger, but Solomon does, okay? <laughs> it's in there. It is totally in there. So the sluggard is this bottomless pit of want. It says here in 13.4, it says he desires constantly. So the, sluggard, the soul of the sluggard desireth, but he has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. All right, that's what I want. 
Maybe not the fat part, but at least, the, you know, I want the blessings of the Lord. Maybe not the calories, okay? Uh, I like good food, don't get me wrong here. The soul, he's not talking about food, though. He's talking about the riches of God. The soul of the sluggard desires, but he doesn't have anything. That's not a good position to be in, right? The diligent will always have plenty. So let's talk about the diligent a little bit. That's because the sluggard's lazy, the diligent's ready to get up and work. Everybody following me? We're not getting too complicated, right? Okay. All right. Uh, Proverbs 20 and 4 says this. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore, he shall beg and harvest and have nothing. Okay. Now, we're not talking about plowing snow here. Okay. This is Israel that we're talking about. So, I know we got snow out there tonight, but this is Israel that we're talking about. It's too cold outside. I'm not going to get out and plow because it's cold. That's a dumb excuse, isn't it? You need to feed your family. You need to get out and work. Now, here's another thing about the slugger. Wise people know when they don't know something. And they're not afraid to ask somebody that does, that knows what they're doing. The slugger thinks he is smarter than everybody else, a know-it-all. We know what that person's like, right? He thinks his way is always better. He doesn't have to listen or submit to anyone, and his talk doesn't match his walk. He has an illusion of success that covers a lifetime of laziness. Uh, have I said enough to tell you you don't want to be a sluggard? Does that make sense? Okay. His arrogance and pride always gets him into trouble. And the sluggard, here we go. It says that he is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. One translation said he thought he was so wise, he was wiser than the entire council that was part of a... Hang on a second, I just lost my notes. Bear with me one second. Okay, I just did that. Okay. Bear with me a second. Okay, he thinks he's wiser than an entire college of people, of board of directors. He thinks he's wiser than them. So here's what we want to be. We want to be diligent, not the sluggard, right? Anybody want to be diligent? Okay. So here is how you can be diligent. Pretty simple. Got a couple of simple things here for you. How to be diligent. Get up early and start with the important things in life, right? Watch our downtime and our media time. Now, we can waste a lot of time on these things or other things. Uh, we need to evaluate our desires and our motives. So what is it actually that you want, and why do you want it? Dave Ramsey is another person I really like some of his material, and I've studied quite a bit of it. Dave Ramsey says this quote about the people in our world today. We buy things we don't need with money that we don't have, to impress people we don't even like. Is that not true? We, we see this on social media all the time. Now, if you only want something to impress someone, I'm going to tell you right now, you want it for the wrong reasons. Okay? There's another thing we should do. We should be proactive instead of reactive. In other words, you see something that needs to get done, perfect example, in the church, do it. Don't tell someone else it needs to get done. If you can do it and you have the ability do it yourself. Now, another thing you can do is make yourself available for jobs that nobody else wants to do. Anybody ever done that? One of the greatest ways to get into the ministry team, 
the plunger, okay? <laughs> clean the bathrooms. If you haven't cleaned toilets yet, that is a great way to become a great minister, okay? I've cleaned quite a few toilets in my life. But do the jobs that nobody else wants to do. And here's another thing you can do. You can give your talents freely to your church and volunteer. We have great opportunities to do that here, and many of you all do that. Now, some people might be saying, well, you know, I, I make good money doing what I'm going to do. I'm an electrician. I, I'm, I, I do whatever I, whatever I am. I'm a contractor. I'm a cement worker. Why should I give my talents away to the church? And a spirit wells up and says, well, what's in it for me? Why should I give my talents away? My time is worth money. Well, that's how you know. If you felt that spirit rise up in you, you might just be a sluggard. Okay? It's very, very clear. You, the sluggards always in want and has nothing, but the thoughts of the diligent is always to the plenty. So let's take a look at this verse. Proverbs 21 and 5 says, The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty to want. So the diligent are those hard workers, right? And hard workers always have plenty, and they're willing to give of their plenty to others. See, they have a different mindset altogether. And if we look at this diligent, the diligent, it's right here in your notes, it says the diligent are not complainers about their time or their money. Mm -hmm. They are always able to do and take on more. The sluggards always end up in one. The sluggards, here's the reason why he's always in one. He is never content. Mm -hmm. Contentment is a problem for that sluggard. But the diligent, they're happy. They're satisfied with life. And that you, one word, they are content. So it's important for us to be satisfied with who and what and where we are in life. And says here in Proverbs 12, 14, from the fruit of the mouth, uh, fr fruit of his mouth, the man is satisfied with good, and the work of man's hand comes back to him. So it's important for us to be satisfied with what we have. We're not in constant one. If you are not satisfied with what you have, there is a problem in the attitude of our heart. Would you agree with that? The there is a heart attitude that also comes with every debt problem. And there's a heart attitude that really comes with every problem in life. The attitude, we'll make it real simple, is discontentment. Have you ever known somebody that's just never satisfied? Oh, yeah. uh, i got to move here. I need a new job. They get on a new job every single month, it seems like. They've got the highest turnover at any place that they work. Now, contentment is the opposite of discontentment, okay? We're making this real easy to follow here tonight. All right, so here's what I just said. Contentment, it's in your notes, is the greatest key for you to enjoy life, and it can keep you out of debt. Yes. That's a great thing. That means enjoying what you have, and no matter how much or how little you have. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, it doesn't matter. If you enjoy what you have, you're content. Now sometimes, the way we see it today, people, they, what they don't have keeps them from having and enjoying what they do have. And that's a sad thing. 
that's the last thing we want to have happen is to not have that. Bear with me again, I lost my notes. I gotta quit doing that, whatever I just did. <laughs> Technology is wonderful when it works and terrible when it doesn't. Okay, so contentment, that's where we are at. Alright, so people often wreck their lives because they are always in pursuit of something. And they are always discontent. Maybe they move here, maybe they dump this girlfriend or boyfriend and they get a new relationship and they're just not satisfied. They just don't have anything that makes them happy. Uh, and the biggest problem is we find out that more is not enough. Solomon wrote another book. It's called Ecclesiastes. If you haven't read it, you need to read in there. Ecclesiastes 6.9, it says here that better is the sight of the eyes and the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. But you've never read Ecclesiastes, that's about the entire book right there. <laughs> you hear that over and over again. But it's better to see what you have and be happy with it rather than want all this other stuff and constantly wanting. Uh, I know when I watch Veggie Tales, Madame Blueberry, it talks about, you know, this blueberry that wants everything and she gets everything. But is she happy when it's all done? Of course not, because stuff doesn't make us happy. We should enjoy what we have and not have a wandering eye for more. People that are discontent, they are miserable to be around. Because they want this, they want that, they want everything, but they're not willing to go out and get it. Now, what do they do? Well, they go and try to get some counseling because they're always unhappy and miserable. And they might set up an appointment with the pastor and talk with them. Problem is, they don't really want to listen to what the pastor has to say to them. Or any other person that's going to give the advice. All the counseling in the world cannot help someone until they deal with the contentment problem, right? If they're not content, you can't get them to be happy. Now, let me tell you something about your finances. We'll never be financially free unless we are content. Financial freedom is not based on how much you make. Making more isn't going to make you more or less financially free. It's based on how much you spend. If you always spend more than what you make, you're going to have a problem. That's pretty straight, okay? A financial freedom doesn't come from just making more money. You know, it might make things a little easier, but if you're not content, it's not going to matter. You're going to find something else to spend that money on, okay? We'll also never be emotionally free without contentment either, okay? Now... Let's take a look at 1 Timothy, and we'll read a great verse. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Right? So godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, I have some quick advice for you, another little checklist, if you will, on how to be content. Here you go. Stop comparing yourself to others. That's really funny in our day of social media, right? Because there's a whole lot of comparing going on. So we somehow need to limit our exposure of that. Maybe read your Bible and your, you know, get your mind right, pray, before you spend any time in social media. Make sure your head is in the right place. The story's never accurate on social media, right? Everybody looks perfect. Nobody looks that perfect. <laughs> okay, there's filters, there's all kinds of stuff. 
I don't know if anybody does that. Okay. It tries to make yourself look better than what you are, but uh, a lot of people do. I'll just say yeah. some people do that, okay? Yeah. We won't say any of you, all right? Stop retail therapy. So if you shop to feel better, stop doing that. It's not going to help you. In fact, you're just going to get more broke. You're going to get further into debt. Here's another one. Stop destination disease. Stop traveling and going here and going there. If I go on this trip, I'll be happy. If I go on this trip, I'll be happy. When I get here, when I have this job, when I do, you're not content. You're never going to be happy. Enjoy being frugal. Nobody even knows what that word means anymore. <laughs> it simply means cost effective. Let me put it this way. Use up what you got, wear it out, make it do, or do without. Now, just yesterday, my wife and I, we got a new bedroom set, but we didn't go to the store and get it. We got it from in-laws. We got it from family. It's not brand new, but is it great? It's excellent. It's wonderful. But that we didn't go out and get a bill for it. We didn't go get a loan to buy a bedroom set. So we did something differently. We used up what we got in our families. Now, it would bless our lives financially if we didn't always have to have the latest and greatest. But we are taught to do that with one of these, right? you got to have this new thing every time it comes out. And I happen to have some, some of that as well sometimes. I like technology, but it would help us if we didn't always have to have the latest and greatest. But our culture teaches us, you got to have this because it's upgraded. In fact, what you've got is going to quit working. Now, here's another thing. Don't make any major decisions when you're discontent. If you're unhappy, it's not a good time to be deciding about your job. Okay? Do it when you got a clear head. It's not a good time to be talking about your church or your relationship or anything else. And take your money and use it to help the less fortunate. You'll feel good about it. And it helps you to, when you put your thoughts on other people, it's amazing what it does for us. It makes us feel better, right? Right. That's a great thing. Yeah. So let's take a look at slide 41. I really like this. And when I was studying Brother Woodward's teachings, he made this comment, and I really thought it was great. God hasn't promised to take care of all your greeds, but he has promised to take care of all of your needs. Okay. You like that? that yeah. Good? I really like that. I'm actually <clears throat> pretty slick. I do like that. All right. So we learn from these teachings that what really we're talking about here is the fear of the Lord. Okay. If we fear God, if we put our trust in Him, He'll bless our life All right. in every aspect. He'll bless our finances, our home, our relationships, everything. It'll be like we have the Midas touch. If we put God first in everything, God comes back to us. And the fear of God tends to life. Let's take a look at Proverbs 19.23. It says, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And he that hath it shall be satisfied. There you are. Contentment. Satisfied, contentment, it's all really there right there in one verse. He shall not be visited with evil. I thought that was kind of interesting. What in the world is that all about? So in other words, if I'm unhappy, I'm unsatisfied, I'm never going to be settled in my mind. And it looks like I could be visited with evil. My thoughts are evil. So that's because I can't be content with what God gave me. I'm unsatisfied. Right. I'm not happy with what God gave me. I, God didn't do me right. He should have gave me better. But it says the wise shall be satisfied because the fear of the Lord 
It's the beginning of wisdom. Remember, it's our focus verse. The Bible even tells us the Lord is my portion. So if the Lord's your portion, portion yeah. what else do you need? Right. right. That's everything. That, that, that's it. One statement. Now, we're also even told to let our conversation be without covetousness. So what in the world is that all about? Well, mm -hmm. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation, which could also be translated lifestyle, right. be without covetousness. And content, there it is, that content word keeps coming up, doesn't it? With such things as ye have, for he has said, I will never leave thee, I will never forsake thee. We know the Lord's told us that, right? right? Yeah. So in other words, let your lifestyle be without want. Okay. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Mm. He makes me to lie down. We know the scripture, right? The Bible tells us this in so many places that we do not need anything. God, has, he knows what we need better than what we do. When we try to help God out and fix it ourselves, we mess it all up. All right. uh, that's really how it goes. Now, there's another principle that's very important if we want to have our lifestyle without want, is to give if we want to receive. Mm. Now, the Bible tells us this in Proverbs. If we had no other book in the Bible, this book tells us about tithing. Okay? It says Proverbs 3 and 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Now, this sounds countercultural to the biggest extreme, because if we give something, don't we like give it away? Don't we lose it? Doesn't that make sense? That's what our culture seems to say. Giving could even be called a, a financially irrational act. Now, in our culture, we think if we give something away, we've lost it. But actually, in God's word, it lets us know that the way for it's the way for God to increase our substance, and it releases God to put blessings in our lives. That's what it does. And we are living in an unparalleled time of affluence in our world today. Yeah. I mean, we live in comforts and conveniences that Solomon, King Solomon, he never participated in or even dreamed of. And he never saw one of these babies, okay? Uh, he never traveled in an Airbnb, okay? He, he doesn't know about all that stuff. It's crazy. But we know that money is a very important part of the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. There's many, many great things in there. But now I'm about to blow your mind because I'm going to tell you some things that you maybe did not know about money. There are twice as many verses and even more than that yeah. on money than there is on faith and prayer combined. Mm -hmm. Here's some stats. 2,350, 2,350 verses on money. That's a lot of verses. 500 verses each of prayer and faith and prayer. Now, Jesus said more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. Jesus used 16 of 38 parables to teach his disciples about money. 15% of the recorded words of Jesus in the Bible are about what? Money. Dang. Jesus said more about money than any other subject. Okay. Isn't that astounding? All right. Now, the reason for this is that money and possessions, which are called mammon in the Bible, 
they have the greatest potential to replace the lordship of Jesus Christ yeah. in your life. Yeah. Right. Now, everybody has heard this. No man can serve two masters. So, Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and mammon. Well, you can't serve God in your money. We can't serve God in materialism. We can't serve God in our possessions. It, it's not equal playing ground, is it? God wants all of us. And we also know that wherever we put our heart is, that's where our treasure is going to be, right? Let's take a look at the verse. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So your heart goes where your treasure is, right? So giving, it's not really about money. What it is, it's about conquering mammon, mm. conquering our possessions, conquering, Ooh. taking control yeah, over, for real. right? So here's the one thing you can do with your heart. You can make your heart go into missions. And I know who I'm talking about here in this room. Okay, we can put our heart into missions by our giving, you know? We might not ever go out in the foreign field. Some of us have. But we can't go there through our giving. Uh, you can make your heart go into the kingdom of God by your giving. But many people, they get more sidetracked by serving God, from serving God by materialism than anything else. So let me explain this a little clearer. We see people come in the church, maybe they don't have much money, okay? They come in the church, they pray through, they get the Holy Ghost, whatever they do, and God starts blessing them. They start tithing, and they start giving, and God starts blessing them. So what do they do? They go out and buy some possessions, right? Go out and buy some nicer things. Mm. Go out and buy a boat. Go out and buy a whatever they RV, whatever it is. Uh, they bought a timeshare, whatever it is. And next thing you know, they need to take some time off to go spend time with those possessions. And you don't see them in church anymore. Mm. But they got a nice new car. They got some nice new jacket. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. Okay? We've seen this happen with people around us. People get sidetracked from serving God by materialism. Yeah. People come into the church, they get blessed, and then they go spend time with their possessions. So what, what was wrong with that? Well, their priorities got out of alignment, right? So what is priority in our lives? How, how can we find out what's the priority in our lives? Well, there's some good things that we can look at real quick. One is our checkbook. Okay? Or maybe your bank account. No, most people don't even know what a checkbook is right. anymore nowadays. It's all electronic. Look at your calendar. Where do you spend your time? And look at your church attendance. These are all three key areas of where we can find out what our priority is. Because it's where you spend your treasure, where you spend your time, and where do you give of your talent? Where do you put those things? Now, we already read this earlier in Proverbs about honoring the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. What that really is saying is that tithing is the top financial priority for every Christian if you want God's blessing on your finances. Mm -hmm. Everything we have comes from God, right? All we've been asked to do is be a good steward over it. Watch over this for me. Now, as God's people, we don't pay our tithe. Yes, we do, but <laughs> we don't get it on that sense. We don't give our tithe. We return our tithe. Yeah. We return our tithe unto God. 
And free will offerings, we know that's voluntary offering. That's beyond the tithe, right? Uh, tithing, let's face it, tithing is not giving. Tithing is tithing. It's simply giving what God has required us, right? We know it's 10%. Tithing is only the minimum. So if you're doing that, congratulations. You're only doing the minimum. All right? But that's, that's good that you've done that. If not, you're actually robbing God. Okay, oh. I don't want to jump ahead. All right. Let me get there. Now, you've heard people say, and some pastors have even made this statement before, uh, and thought, felt sorry for someone, and they say, you know, I don't really have much money. I can't afford to tithe. Right. But here's the truth of the matter. There's a reason why people can't afford to give to God. The reason people cannot, let me see if it's going to cooperate with me, cannot afford to give to God is because they are not giving to God. Oh. Is that pretty awesome, right? It's pretty right there. You can't afford not to give. So if they were giving to God, his blessing would come upon them, and they would be able to give even more. So I hear people say it all the time, oh, I want to be rich someday. Okay, well, if you want to be rich, do it God's way. And there's a verse about that right here. Proverbs 10.22, it says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich. And he addeth no sorrow with it. Now, you, you can go get rich anytime, any way you want to, but here comes sorrow with it. Let me put it this way. You buy a vacation home, you've got to pay insurance for that bad boy. Your travel trailer, your new car, your whatever you got, you have to worry about the upkeep, the insurance, the security, all these things add up. That, that's sorrow, isn't it? Okay, every time i got to pay my insurance bill on this and insurance on that, that, that doesn't feel all that comfortable, you know? Paying on something I don't even have access to on a regular basis, but I've seen people do this all the time. Now, the words of Jesus, I feel, are really important because he gives us a really straight answer about blessing on giving and receiving. He says in Acts 20.35, words of Jesus, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's right there in front of us. Now, we all want to be givers that are blessed by God, right? right. Amen? Yeah. Everybody agree with that? Amen. Now, God, here's another one of those catchy sayings. Catch this. God doesn't bless us to increase our standard of living. He blesses us to give us, to increase our standard of giving. giving. Yeah. Okay? He doesn't bless us to increase our standard of living, you know, where we live, and, you know, roll, high roller, whatever. He blesses us so that we can give more into his kingdom. And I want God to do that for me. I want him to, to bless me so I can bless his kingdom more. Because God takes care of my needs. Amen? Amen. God knows exactly what I need. Now, in 1 Corinthians 4 and 2, and I'm using some supporting verses here. For, for, uh, it says, 1 Corinthians 4 2, Moreover, it's required in a steward that a man be found faithful. Now, it's obvious God doesn't need our money, right? He really doesn't. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, exactly. right? Yeah. What God needs is our faithfulness. Right. That gives God room to bless us. And that's what tithing is really all about. 
it gives God that opportunity to bless us. So, in wrapping this up here, there are many, many stories in the Bible that we can look at as far as tithing and giving. And all I know is if we don't give to God, we're robbing God. And we're robbing not just God, but we're robbing ourselves. That's the crazy thing. So if we want to be blessed, we need to give if we want to receive. Okay? So just summarizing things that we talked about. I know we're just about here at the end of our discussion here today. We can rob ourselves just like we can rob God. I won't read it, but it's in Malachi 3, 8 through 11. It basically says, how have you robbed me? You've robbed me in offerings and tithes. We don't want to do that. And by doing that, we get a curse. And that's the last thing that we want to do. Now, quick story here of a pastor who knew somebody who did not have much money. And this person didn't have much money. And the pastor decided, I'm going to take the tie check back to this person because they, I don't know how they could afford to pay this. And he drives up to their property and he sees this real shanty-looking house drives down the lane, the pastor sees this person, the person comes out and says, oh, pastor, what are you here for? And the pastor says, well, I felt sorry for you, I want to give your tithe check back. And he said, well, no, whatever you do, don't do that. Right. You will hurt my blessing. Exactly. You see, times are hard, but I need God's blessing in my life. So, God will bless us even in what meagerly we have. God's able to take care of our needs. Amen? Amen. One other quick little story here for you. Uh, it happens to be somebody I, that I'm familiar with in my family. But somebody, they were planting a crop in a garden. And the garden wasn't producing. It just, nothing they planted would grow. And finally, the wife said, hey, now this isn't my wife. But <laughs> this looks like a field where the, the people haven't paid their tithes. And she looked at her husband, hey, hey, did you pay our tithes? No, we've been running a little bit tight. I uh, didn't know if we could afford that. We're a couple months behind. Well, you go pay the pastor right now what you owe him, pay our tithes now, and pay our back tithes, because this ground's not producing anything. You see, that brought a curse. So we need to be in the mindset of we don't want that curse in our lives. Now there was a story in the Bible that I thought was really interesting, and it's in the book of Exodus. It talks about the people that they brought so much to the house of God. They brought so many uh, things that were needed, the, this color raiment, this, this material, everything was brought, and finally Moses gave command, stop giving. It is more than what we need. So let me ask you this question. What could the church do today if we got a hold of the principles of the wisdom on money that comes from the book of Proverbs? What could we do if our saints were not bound by debt? If they were able to give what they wanted to give? If they weren't hit with this curse because they're not giving what they need to or they're tied down by this slavery of debt? What could we do for the kingdom of God? I think God wants us to be able to do what we want to do when it's time to make that possible. We need to learn from this wisdom in the book of Proverbs because it will tell us how to live a life that is stress-free and financially blessed. We need God's blessing 
and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs on our mind.